0: The last couple of weeks, whilst not um, totally unusual, we were a bit out of the norm in that we focused very much on words and prophecies that we we're bringing forward. If you, if you haven't heard those, I would really encourage you to go and listen to them. Uh, there's some really important stuff there. And one of the things that really struck me... Uh, was the the little word that Sherry brought last week at the end about upside down evangelism about reaching those who have fallen away and those who are stuck in their Christianity so we're talking about reaching believers and, and falling away believers and I think that's so important for this time um, so I want to encourage you I, I, I've kind of thought about that, I've prayed about it, I've kind of taking it before God and I really believe that that is a really key word for our focus and an encouragement for us to uh, talk to people that we have we know and we've been around and have been around us in church and we've known from the past and, and things like that because I believe that God uh, wants to really bring them back to him and those who have just stuck, who've sat there for 15, 20 years with very little change in their lives, I, I believe he wants to unstick them and set them on fire for him. Um, so I, 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 I want to commend that word and say that I, I actually think that was a word for this time from God for us. Um, I think all the words were great. I think they were uh, really powerful. I think it was a, a, a good time and I think we, we need to, to do those times. But sometimes when we do those times, we're left with questions like, now what am I supposed to do with that? How, how does that work? And so I'm going to be a bit more mundane this morning. Um, I'm actually going to talk about what prophecy is, the gift of prophecy, what it's for, what it isn't, uh, how it works well and when it doesn't work well, because we live in a time when we've got two conflicting things. We've got the word of God that says we should earnestly desire to prophesy. And we've got prophecies coming out left, right and centre that never seem to come to pass. And so we we have these two things within the body of Christ. And we need to understand uh, how we handle those and how we handle things uh, like the word that I wrote last Sunday, like personal words like Esther brought uh, and so on. What do you do with them and, and, and what's their status? Because if you don't understand, it can actually make a real mess of your life. What God intended for good can actually uh, get a bit swallowed up and end up for bad. And uh, as we talked about last week, the, the big the big thing that Jesus was concerned about and Paul was concerned about in this time that we live in is deception. And so when you're dealing with something that's subjective, like the gift of prophecy, um, then there there is a wide scope for deception within that. So we need to know how to handle it and what it's about, what it isn't. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Is that okay? I know it's kind of... A bit kind of teachy, but it's going to be a bit kind of teachy this morning. So I'll start with the New Testament, and then I'll I'll, I'll quickly go back into the Old. So in the New Testament, prophecy, or the gift of prophecy, is defined as telling something that God has brought to mind. Telling something that God has brought to mind. So that's that's the New Testament version of prophecy. It's not necessarily, or even mainly, about talking about the future. And it's really important to understand that because a lot of people want to predict the future. and They, they want, like, what's coming? What am I supposed to do? What's going to happen? Let's stake our entire life on it. Let's get... Let's get the 50 bags of flour and 40 bags of sugar down in the cellar and let's get ready with the guns. You know, it's that sort of thing. And, and that's not the primary. It's a very minor function of prophecy in the New Testament. And I'll explain why that's very different from what you see with those guys with sackcloth ashes, loincloths and out in deserts and all that sort of stuff that you come across in the Old Testament. Um, prophecy has a number of key functions for a new covenant believer. The two primary ones of those are unchanged from the Old Testament, which is to call people back to Jesus or call people back to God and to call them back to holiness. They're the two primary functions of prophecy. And so... Prophets in the Old Testament would speak to their generation when their generation was going astray. And then there are other functions of prophecy which are more akin to being used in the church meetings, which there's sometimes difficult to define where this thing called a word of knowledge ends and a, and a prophecy starts. But Jesus said that when we have the Holy Spirit, when the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on us, then the Holy Spirit would take of what Jesus was saying and show it to us. And from that, we minister and we speak. That's the idea of New Testament prophecy. So, let me give you some uh, general guidelines first. This is the most important thing you need to understand this morning. So, I put it up front. New Testament prophecy is not the same as Old Testament prophets. If you don't understand that, you are going to get in a mess. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around that, which causes people to act on things that they should just hold in abeyance. And as a result, lots of people have got their lives in messes. Old Testament prophets were chosen by God to carry the responsibility of speaking and writing down the words of God himself. That's an Old Testament prophet. That's they, These are the guys that wrote two-thirds of this. And, and so... In that office, as a prophet, people like Moses, people like Isaiah, people like Ezekiel, you know, all of them, Jeremiah, and all the minor prophets, they're not minor because they're under four foot tall. They're minor because they're shorter than the other long-winded ones. Okay? That's why they're called minor prophets. But all these prophets, they directly spoke the words that God had given them. That's why it became scripture. And so, in that office... In a time when the Holy Spirit was not available or resting on everyone, individuals were anointed at particular times to speak the words of God. And so they were entitled to say things like, Thus says the Lord, because it was him saying it. And and the words that followed were the very words of God himself. And so, in the Old Testament, to not follow the words the prophet was speaking or not respond to the words the prophet was speaking was the same as disobeying God and rejecting God himself. Okay? Now, that's not true for us. And I'm going to explain why that is and I'm going to show you that. But that's not true for us. But some people still behave like it is true for us or should be true for us. In the New Testament, there were those who spoke God's words and wrote them down. Those who wrote the New Testament, people like Paul and John and Peter and James and and, and the others. So they write it down. They are not called prophets. In fact, they they they're not even referred to as operating in the gift of prophecy. They are called something different. They are called apostles. And so in the New Testament, the apostles, although not having exactly the same status as the Old Testament prophets, were kind of that's akin. And then there were other people in the New Testament who operated in the gift of prophecy within church context. But the scripture in the New Testament was written by the apostles. And uh, we're told that that was as the Holy Spirit showed them what to write. But they're not prophets in terms of like the Old Testament. The word uh, prophecy in the New Testament... The word itself means one who speaks on the basis of external influence. One who speaks on the basis of external influence. In other words, they've, they've sensed something or they've heard something or believe they've heard something from God or from the Holy Spirit. And, and that will be under the operation of what Jesus said, which is he'll take of what is mine, of Jesus' is, what I'm saying, and he'll show it to you. He'll tell it to you. That's why it's important that we only do what we see or Jesus shows us to do and we only speak what Jesus gives us to speak. It could also mean things such as spokesperson or ambassador. That, the word that gets translated prophets, it was also used of spokespeople ambassadors, and one who has insight or knowledge of a particular situation or season. So in the New Testament, you see Christians prophesying, but they're not prophesying with divine authority. They're operating in their understanding of what the Holy Spirit's showing them and they're speaking they're ambassadors they're um, spokespeople for the kingdom or they're people who have a new slant a, a, a slant or an insight that brings the word of God applicable to the situation or the season that the church finds itself in so what what I did last week would be kind of that category So how how do we deal with all that sort of stuff? Well, let me just show you that that's true and correct. Because that's important, isn't it? So I've made this statement that prophets in the New Testament don't speak with authority equal to the Old Testament prophets. Nor do they speak with authority that is equal to Scripture. Prophecy in the New Testament is subject to scripture. It sits below scripture. And that's that's really important if you think about it because in the Old Testament, there was one person in an entire nation who was the prophet. Potentially, there's 100 plus people in this room who could operate in the gift of prophecy. All of which, all of us have different levels of knowledge and insight and understanding and maturity in our Christian walks. So, if it was like the Old Testament, we'd end up with chaos. And, and, you know, God does not confuse and he doesn't conflict with himself. But let me just show you that. In Acts 21 4. So, you don't, Jules might put them up, but it's not really. The disciples tell Paul, and and they say it's through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. So the disciples prophesy to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because bad things are going to happen to you there. What does Paul do? Paul goes to Jerusalem. He wouldn't do that if he regarded the word of prophecy as equal with the Old Testament prophets. He actually completely disobeys that word or ignores it. It's not that they were incorrect in sensing he'd get in trouble if he went to Jerusalem. Because he did. It's he felt from God for him he needed to go. So these gifts are subject not only to scripture. But our discernment of how they should apply if at all in our lives. So Paul discerned, I may get in trouble, but that's where my destiny lies. That's where God wants me to go. Acts 21, 10 to 11. There's this guy called Agabus. Have heard of Agabus? Well, he comes along and he prophesies that the Jews in Jerusalem would bind Paul and they would deliver him into the hands of the Romans. The thing is, that was nearly true, but not quite. And the Romans, not the Jews, bound Paul. We, scripture tells us that. So Agabus had a prophecy that wasn't entirely correct. And also, instead of delivering him to the him, instead of delivering him to the Romans, the Jews actually tried to kill him first. And and Paul had to be rescued. You find that in Acts chapter twenty two. So, it's not far off, but it's inaccurate. Now, if that was an Old Testament prophet, there was only one outcome for Agabus. He gets stoned to death. Thank goodness we're not operating like Old Testament prophets. Because if we get something wrong... And we want to treat it like an Old Testament prophet. We should have the Old Testament results. But thank goodness we've got a new covenant. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 21. We're told to do not despise the gift of prophecy. But test everything and hold first to that which is good. If the Thessalonians thought that prophecy was equal either to the Old Testament or to Scripture itself, God wouldn't have had to tell them not to despise it. And that's the trouble, isn't it? A a lot of believers despise prophecy because they've seen prophecy used wrongly or they don't understand what's happening. And actually we're told that it's a really powerful spiritual gift. So we have to earnestly desire it and then use it properly. And, and there isn't this get out of going, oh, I don't want to be bothered with all that sort of stuff. And, and so in that verse in Thessalonians, you see something that is really key. We have to test everything. The context that Paul talks about testing in, he talks about this in Corinthians as well, chapter 14, is the context is in the body of the church, subject to the authority of those whose God has put over the church. Elders, apostles, and all the rest of it. So we test in the context of the body. So let's say you got a word from Esther, and you go, well, I wasn't really sure about that. You would go to somebody... Uh, like me or Roger or Paul or, you know, somebody that you would respect and you see as part of the leadership and you would talk it over with them. What do you think of that? Is that what you see in me? Actually, I thought Esther's words were all really accurate. Because um, one of the, the privileges you get as a pastor is you know a lot more about people's lives on generally than individuals necessarily know. And that's quite right. So I can go, actually that was really good Esther, I think you should give that one. Yeah? So we test everything. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is kind of the chapter that a lot of people talk when they talk about the gift of prophecy, it says, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. What is said. The word for weigh is Greek word diakrino, which means listening carefully and then sifting the good from the bad. So, can you see that New Testament prophecy is nothing like those Old Testament guys? Are we all agreed on that? And that there's, a, there's an imperative that we discern and we test, and that it ranks below the authority of Scripture. And that, that's within the, the context of the, the church that you're part of. And, and often, kind of a lot of the problems we get with the gift of prophecy is it operates outside church authority. It's not accountable to anybody. We have individual prophetic ministries that aren't part of churches and, and aren't accountable to churches but just travel around giving prophecies all over the place. And that's a problem because It's very difficult then, if you're there, you're sat, you hear this word and you go, what am I supposed to do with that? Because this gift is meant to operate within a body, not apart from a body. So how would we describe the gift of prophecy today? Well, here's the thing. If you um, read books about the gift of prophecy, and I've, I've read a lot of the... The last five, ten years. What you find is that, and I'm talking about charismatic teachers, people who actually believe the gifts of today, okay. I'm not talking about people who don't even think this should happen. But charismatic teachers and theologians. And what you find is that they are all in agreement about what the gift of prophecy is and how it should operate. And they'll say the same sort of things as I've just said. So you've got all these, these books out there that are saying that same things. So the problem's not with the theology, if there is a problem. The problem's with the practice. So you can have people saying this is how the gift of prophecy should work and then you can have people coming along going, well, it's okay, we'll just do this instead because we like doing this and it's fun. And thereby lies a lot of problems. And, the, you know, when you look at it, there's almost uniform testimony from all sections of the charismatic church and movement that would say, yeah, we agree, prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is imperfect and impure, and therefore needs to be treated with caution and tested properly. Leaders right across the charismatic movement will say that. Because we have this real issue, as, um, which we talk about on Rock Solid, that whilst we have the Spirit of God in us when He becomes one with our spirit when we're born again, unfortunately, that sits alongside a kind of unrenewed in the process of getting renewed, in the process of changing flesh and soul. And the real problem with the way you operate in the gifts of the spirit is that it can often get mixed up with the flesh. So you can see something from God and you will find that it's really easy to put your own interpretation on it and mix it up. I remember uh, years ago, we were doing a, a joint outreach event in Arbury with uh, City Life Church, Tim Anderson's church at that time. And uh, we, we would like get together, worship beforehand, and then go out and, and, and speak to people in Arbury. And in this worship, I think it was on the second night, I had this picture of somebody who'd... Uh, it was like a foot going into sand... And they'd injured their ankle and it had been painful for years ever since. They'd done really bad injury on their ankle. So I I gave this word and uh, talked about it and I said, Look, guys, what, so there's somebody here and you were kind of running along and you were, I, I think you were long jumping and you jumped into a, a long jump pit and your ankle went in wrong. And you were, it, was, it was a bad injury and you've had pain ever since and God wants to heal that. So I said, come forward, whoever that is. And nobody came forward. Now, you can call that prophecy or you could call it gifts of knowledge. As I said, the guide, it's, it's a bit blurred. We don't have enough information in the New Testament to tell when one stops and one starts. Um, but what we can say is there's no gap between the two. So there's nothing to fall down the crack. God's got it covered. Anyway, at the end of the evening, I'm going like, no, nobody, nobody responded, and I, and I felt like I need to say sorry, like I, I got that one wrong. And uh, so I did, and, and this guy came forward. He said, "I think it was for me." And I said, "Why? Right, okay, well, why didn't you respond?" And he said, "Well, I didn't respond because I didn't do it long jumping. I did it on a beach." So I'd seen the foot going into the sand, interpreted it through my own experience of being involved in athletics, come out with that interpretation. So that was my flesh speaking. I'd added something. And as a result of that, that guy could have got healed two and a half hours earlier than he actually got healed because he did get healed. So it all turned out all right, but sometimes it doesn't turn out all right. And we've got this issue about not mixing the gifts of the spirit with our flesh. And that's why it's important that these operate within a body and it's also important that we test them and that they're subject to scripture. So, where do we get into things that we need to clarify? Well, I've already said, like, if somebody comes along and says, thus says the Lord, you can almost, well, you should just go, I'm not listening to that one. Because that's an Old Testament prophet. We, we don't have that level of authority or confidence when we're in the New Testament. What you can say and what we should be saying is, I sense that the Lord is showing me the following. Or, I had this vision This is me reporting it. This is what I think it means, but I'm opening this up to you to have a look at and pray about and see what you think it means. See if you've got a different perspective. That's how New Testament prophecy should should operate. Now here's the thing. Because we have this... um, bit of confusion between New and Old Testament prophets we, we get um, an issue what if they're wrong as I've said some of the stuff that we've seen over the years if you've been in Old Testament or we've been living in Old Testament times basically there'd be a lot of dead people around who got stoned um, thankfully we don't do that but if you were going to treat people and who call themselves prophets or have been ordained as prophets or whatever as if they, they carry this absolute words from God and then they get it wrong, and they consistently get it wrong. Like we, We've had so many things where there's dates predicted and this is going to happen by then, and it doesn't. And then it gets taken down from their website and it doesn't, you know, like it never happened. At some point, we should be saying we should not be listening to these guys because, honestly, some of them are less accurate than you can get by random chance. And that's a real problem. Why is it a real problem? It's a real problem because it denigrates the gift of prophecy that we're told to earnestly desire and operate in. And so we, we need a level of discernment in these days that, we we haven't previously operated in. I mean, in in my own son's life, the the biggest turning point in his walk with Jesus came as a result of somebody giving a prophecy. And it was somebody at a conference that we were sponsoring, and this person stood up and he said, there's a... There's a new wave. It starts here. By next year, this nation will be transformed. There's there's been a shift in the heavenlies and God's going to move tremendously in in the United Kingdom. And my son walked out of that meeting and he said, I've heard that so many times and nothing has ever happened and I don't believe it's going to happen now. I've had it with God. I've had it with you church people. This is like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old. And you can probably tell that between 2012 and now, that has not happened. So what do you do with the person? Do we keep lapping up every time we say things like that? Because we do. Because sometimes we're just stupid or we're we're over-enthusiastic. But we have this real desire for God to move in our nation. And it, and it kind of like tugs on our heartstrings Because I want God to move in this nation. And I want the prophets in this nation to stand up and speak for God. And speak in a way that convicts the world around us. And calls people back to God's standard. And calls the church back to his holiness. But to get, we have to get past this stuff. That isn't quite cutting it now for us, and so it's just a, 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 it's a real challenge for us in, in this time that we're going into. Here's one that is a, again you shouldn't listen to it. How many of you have seen these? That if if we all pray and fast for the next. 12 weeks doom will be averted from our nation but if we don't all pray and fast terrible things are going to come upon us how many of you have seen those? they're contingent prophecies we all need to be paying for this or we all need to be paying for that and then either way they get it right either we didn't fast enough and doom comes Oh, we did fast, and it was never coming anyway. You can't. That's not prophecy. That's called an each-way bet in gambling terms. It's not prophecy. We shouldn't listen to those. That's not how how these thing works. Self, the spirit of self-fulfillment needs to come off these things because it is a spirit. It's a deceiving spirit. And it comes from lack of testing of prophetic words. So if it's not God's words, what is it? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um. And I'm going to start at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. But let all things be done for edification. Let me just deal with that verse before I go on. That almost all my life, I have heard people that said church should look like that. That's how we should do. We should just all turn up and everybody just bring what they've got to bring, and it'll all be great. That's Paul telling the church this is what your meetings look like, guys. This is wrong. This is chaos. There's no authority, no testing, no order. And basically, if an unbeliever walks into that, they ain't coming back. This isn't a recipe for a good church meeting. This is a recipe for a bad church meeting. Because it's in the context of Paul talking about the lack of order in the Corinthian church. And he said, that's what your meetings look like, Corinth. And then he goes on and he says... If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three. So don't ban tongues, don't ban prophecy, but make sure you don't have more than two or three. Like we've not got 50 people wandering up here. Each in turn, so not getting interrupted, not getting added to before we've had time to think about it, And then let them get interpreted. If there's no interpreter. Then everybody shut up. Because you're not going to get there. My paraphrase. Let him speak to himself and to God. In other words pray about it. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others judge. Well that's what we've done for the last two weeks. If anything is revealed to another, sits by. Let the first one shut up while this one talks. That's northern translation. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. The spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets mean when somebody says I just had to say it out loud in the middle of the meeting. No, they didn't. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You control this. You've got... you, You don't... You're not in a position where the Holy Spirit makes you do things. Now what a lot of people really miss about 1 Corinthians 14 well 12 13 and 14 and I've only heard like a couple of people really teach this well is that in the course of 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14 Paul actually talks about three different meetings and he's really specific about what should happen in each meeting so if you go and... I haven't time to go into it all now. I'll probably teach it one day. But if you go and read it, you will find out that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, there is something called what hap- the, the school of the unlearned. What happens in there? That is people who either aren't believers yet or are new believers and have been discipled. School of the unlearned. And then there's small meetings... When you gather, two or three and a few of you. And then there's what happens in a whole church meeting. When you're all together, it's different rules, And that's really important. People read this and that's why they get confused because reading one thing... That prophecy is not for unbelievers, and then they'll read a f- like down five verses, and they'll go, "But when a believer hears prophecy, they'll be convicted and fall on the face and repent. An unbeliever hears it. So I thought it wasn't for them. Well, which, which are you in? Are you in the school of the unlearned? Are you in the small gathering? or are you in the whole church gathering? Because they're different. And in the whole church gathering, it, it's important that the the unbelievers and the immature believers are able to deal with what is going on. Because Paul says, if you do this, they're out of here. They're just going to be confused. They, they'll come into your whole church meeting and everybody is doing uh, the whole, like... I've, like 400 of us got words this morning. And and, it's, and Paul specifically says, if an unbeliever walks into that, he's going to think you're mad. He's going to think you're crazy. And he'd be right. But he'd also be right in understanding that we weren't actually obeying God in handling these things well. So two or three, in order, tested properly. See, I don't have a problem with somebody giving a prophecy on a Sunday morning, but I ask and we ask that you go through the lead of the meeting before you go up, and they say, "Is this for this morning? Is this for you personally?" is this the right time to bring it in the meeting? Because actually right now we're in deep worship and, and that's just going to cut right across it. So no, we're not bringing that now. And to respect that. Because that brings a way of where prophecy handled correctly then convicts unbelievers who are in that same meeting because they say, man, that was said and then that happened. That's what Paul says happens when it's done in order. Now, I realise that when you talk about these things, we we kind of tread or kick some sacred cows. And, And unfortunately, that's inevitable. Because in the times we are going into, we can't afford deception anymore. And we can't afford to have our sacred cows that are getting in the way of people who are getting touched by the Holy Spirit and want to come into the kingdom. We need the anointing of God and the presence of God in our meetings. Not wedded to uh, cutting across that because we think we want to bring something. The priority in the meeting is the honouring of God and his presence. So when we read this, we see um, see those verses. The secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, "God is among you." Now, notice this: prophecy, real prophecy, brings in that context conviction. And the conviction produces fruit in terms of repentance and worshipping God. It doesn't produce a spectator oh that was kind of interesting response we had a good meeting today. That's why we to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy because it's very powerful. If what we're experiencing is not very powerful it's probably got mixed up a bit with the flesh. And, and then, in verse 22, Paul said, when prophecy happens that way, it's a sign for believers. What that means is it's a clear demonstration that God is at work in their midst. And it's an encouragement that builds their faith. Now, here's what I want you to see finally from that verse that it reveals something that is already in the heart of the recipient. It's not a case of coming along and saying who should I pick up? Les you're gonna have a worldwide ministry and it's gonna start next week and Basically, what you need to do, get your plane tickets now booked. You're going to Malaysia first. And then then you're going to Australia. You're going to save Australia by Christmas. Les might be a bit shocked by that. Because it's not in his heart. He's going like, there's no way I'm getting that past Joyce. It's just not (laughs) happening. (laughs) She's got chili oil to sell. I'm not going to get away with that one. That's never in his heart. But this tells us that the conviction comes because the Holy Spirit speaks the word that convicts the heart but it's of what is already in there. So there, when you hear a word of prophecy, it should stir something that was already inside you. Not give you some sort of grand thing that you never thought about. So then you get this question, and I I get this question, which is, doesn't that make all this just way, way subjective, and shouldn't we just avoid it totally? No, because we too earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. And actually, there's nothing wrong with subjective. I struggle with subjective because I'm an accountant, so objective numbers and facts work better for me than subjective creativity, creativity things them. But neither is wrong. They're just different. But subjective things you need to handle in a different way to objective things. You can prove whether a mathematical equation is right or wrong. This takes time. This is an unfolding. This is in the dynamic of a living vital body of believers who are on a mission for Jesus. Here's the thing that we all have to handle, particularly accountants and lawyers in our midst. The supernatural is inevitably subjective because it doesn't obey the rules, so it's got to be alright if we want the supernatural. And Once again, all the charismatic theologians and writers agree on that point. And they all agree that it's the practice that's the problem. Let me, let me read you some. Who, who's, who's ever come across a guy who was at, right at the forefront of the charismatic revival in the 60s and 70s? A guy called Michael Harper. Great, great man at the centre of this charismatic renewal, uh, gifts of the spirit, hitting the mainstream church. Incredible move of God. Michael Harper said this, prophecies which tell other people what they are to do should be regarded rightly with great suspicion. Donald G, chief theologian, at, at, for, wrote most of the books that the AOG movement rely on for their theology. He said this, Many of the areas where spiritual gifts are concerned arise when we want extraordinarily exceptional to be made frequent and habitual. Let all who develop excessive desire for messages through gifts take warnings from the wreckage of past generation as well as of contemporaries. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Scriptures are there to light our path and show the way, not messages. I think, I think that's really key because there's places in the church world where you can just book an appointment and pay for a prophecy we, we don't need that in the church and you should avoid that in the church Donald Bridge who's a, a bitch charismatic of an earlier generation anybody remember Donald Bridge he uh, wrote a book called Signed and Wonders for Today and this is what he said the Illuminist constantly finds that God tells him to do things. Illuminists are very sincere, very dedicated, they are, and possessed of a commitment to obey God that shames cautious Christians. Nevertheless, they walk a dangerous path. Ancestors have trodden it before, always with the same disastrous results. Inner feelings and emotions. Are subjective, so they need to be subject to scripture. So where where do we where do we get with all this? Well, here's something I've seen, and maybe this is why I'm I'm passionate about this particular thing, because I I do think we need a corrective in in the charismatic body of Christ on this, and that. The gifts of prophecy need to be brought back under the authority of scripture and under the authority of church rather than self-appointed councils and conferences. My goal is not to stop prophecy. My goal is to create a safe environment for prophecy. The goal is for prophecy. You've got to understand that. But where there's prophecy there's got to be testing and accountability so like i said i don't have a problem with somebody being in a word and if if you want to run up to the microphone and not go through the person at the front fine We, we we we're a grace church we have understanding we're compassionate but if that happens you have to be prepared for me to stand up and say that's not god that's wrong in front of everybody Because that's the seriousness with which Paul says we should regard this gift. And so that's why we want to create a safe environment where people grow in that gift and an honouring environment where people feel safe to hear the words that God has for them so that their lives can get changed. I knew somebody for a long time and... They had uh, three pieces of paper that they took with them most places. The first of those pieces of paper was a prophecy. And it was one of these where they had gone to a meeting in America and they had queued up and they had paid their money and they got before and sat before the prophet and the prophet told them what their life was going to be. The second piece of paper was Uh, on a a particular trip that they took, given by somebody in a prophecy conference, again in America, but this person was British. And and again, it had all sorts of things about it, about what was going to happen in their life. And and about how they were going to affect nations. Uh, They were going to write stuff that was going to move the the church worldwide. They were going to reach young people group of believers who would be so set on fire that it would spread like wildfire through that generation. And, and I remember them and, and they would put these pieces of paper out about once a week and they would pray over them and thank God that that's what was going to happen to them. And they committed... They they committed their whole life to seeing that. They they just believed this is who they were. And the truth is, they destroyed a lot of their life by trying to make that happen. By looking for the next thing that was going to make that happen for them. Finding the next person who could facilitate that happening for them. And those words, carrying the spirit of self fulfillment, became destructive words. That's what we need to guard against because those words were never, ever tested by the body of believers they were part of. They were never discussed. In fact, Anybody tried to question any of them, they were told, Who are you to question what the prophet said to me? Problem is, New Covenant, Old Testament prophet vision. It's not how it works. How's it work in the New Testament? Well, 1 Corinthians helps us again. I'm going to finish with this. This is how it works prophecy is for upbuilding. Encouragement and consolation. 1 Corinthians 14.3. Now, that's pretty positive. Prophecy in the body is not for predicting the future generally. It's for understanding the times we live in, yes. But for an individual word or an individual prophecy, it should be upbuilding, encouragement and consolation. The, the actual word, in, and this is, that's a bad translation, because one of the words is actually edification. And edification includes correction. Because some people will take that and say, well, if you say anything that is corrective, it's not, it can't be a prophetic word. Actually, that's wrong. Um, because one of those is edification, and it includes correction. You know, you can't edify somebody without correcting their cause. It's not exclusively correction. It's all sorts of things that's in there so prophecy isn't telling off or general chastisement and if you feel you've got a word like that for somebody what I'd advise you to do is firstly talk to one of the elders in the church and say I've got this word this is what I think it's saying and and we'll guide you but your best thing you can do about it is lock yourself in your room and go and pray about it and say how am I supposed to handle this I'm going to pray for that person in the light of what you've just shown me Jesus because if we can do that and we can handle this properly there will be such a spirit of conviction that comes in this place and upon our lives that so many people will turn to Jesus as a result that's the big thing here because our mishandling of this has taken away the power that brings people into the kingdom so we need to handle it well So, what do we do? We test it. We get ourselves away from the stuff that proves inaccurate regularly. And we operate well within the body, within the church, in these gifts. And then we encourage these gifts. And we expect these gifts. And we enjoy these gifts. And we can walk with confidence in these gifts. And we see people starting to come into the kingdom left, right and center. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you took the time in your word to tell us about how we were supposed to... not just receive the gifts and desire the gifts, but how we should handle them. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you particularly that we are not in the time of the Old Testament prophets, but that we are in the New Testament, where the Spirit rests upon every believer to some measure. And I ask you, Lord, to increase that measure To the extent that we handle your gifts well, I ask you to increase the measure of those gifts upon us. Let us not handle them badly, but let us desire them, Lord. Let us earnestly seek them. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to release more of your power on our lives as we do these things, as we walk well in these things. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.